You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Okay, so today um, I am going to attempt to do one sermon on the topic of heaven. And there's no way in the world I'll do it justice. So I want to recommend this ginormous book to you uh, called The Bible uh, first. (laughs) And then after that, this one called Heaven. Uh, We only got a couple of them, but you can get it on Amazon or whatever. We sell um, all our books at our book table at cost. So um, it's a great book. I started reading it when um, my best friend's uh, daughter, uh, Daisy Love Merrick, um, went to be with with the Lord uh, earlier this year. And I started reading this book and haven't, really haven't stopped, just been picking it up and reading it. And it's just, it's incredible. And uh, the hard part about teaching about heaven today is I, well, I might have to undo a lot of things that you think that heaven is going to be and then um, get you to live to where what, that has an impact on your life right now. And all of that is pretty difficult. And it's freezing cold in here. It doesn't feel like heaven um, in here at all. So all of that uh, is, is what I'll attempt to do today. So um, if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today we are concluding the book of 1 Corinthians. It's been a beautiful uh, book to be in, a letter actually to be in. Um, We started at the very beginning of this year when we moved into uh, Everett Middle School. Um, and, uh, And I think it's profoundly changed this community. To be able to preach through it and do what it says, also like, reading it and then going, hey, this is what it says. Let's do this today, guys. And it's been, it's been really cool going through the book like that uh, or the letter like that. If you need a Bible, today I will have you actually look physically at your Bible and footnotes in your Bible. So if you have a Bible, open it. If you don't, raise your hand. We'll get a physical one in your hand. You'll be flipping around. Um, if you have a, uh, just raise your hand. Ushers will bring you a Bible. They're free. You can keep them if you don't, don't have one um, here or whatever. Uh, if you have an app on your phone that you use, um, a couple things. First, let me just say this. It's always good to put it in like airplane mode. Um, I know that's scary for some people. You're like, wait, if I do that, someone might try to text me. Um, yes, you can be unavailable for, for 40 minutes. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, but what it does is it keeps you focused because we, we, we need all, I need all of your mind today to think through this, uh, this topic with me. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually do something a little bit different. I'm going to pray, and then I'll read through the text together with you and make a bunch of comments to try to, uh, Paul puts a ton of theology here at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and so I want to kind of unpack it, help unpack it for you. Um, So I'm going to pray before, and then we're going to read it together, and then we'll we'll get into it. We'll we'll draw some like, here's some things that we can learn from this. Okay, and if, you, if someone next to you has a Bible, snuggle up next to them and, uh, and read along. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let me pray. And I know 1 Corinthians ends, ends in chapter 16, I know, I can count, but we did 16 like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. So, chapter 15, let me pray and we'll get started. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for heaven. I thank you for these, uh, your church this morning. I, I thank you, God, that though... Um, heaven might just seem a, f- just a long way off and like it doesn't have any bearing on our lives today. I pray, God, that there would be something of 
the spirit of what Paul is talking about here that would change the way we live today. How heaven and the resurrection and the death of death, all those things are so important to way, the way that we live and we see life right now. So I ask God for your Holy Spirit to anoint me, to use me this morning, to speak on this very difficult topic, only because, difficult only because it's just, there's so many things we don't know and it, there's so many passages in the scripture that talk about this and I only have one Sunday to do this, so would you help me, God? Um, order my thoughts, submit my mind and my heart to you, God. Um, we look to your word, we submit under its power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, we said that death is an enemy. Death is the enemy. So when the Bible talks about death, it, doesn't, it uses words like military language, like it's an enemy and there's gonna be victory over it and it's gonna be conquered, things like that. We are not to deny death. This is what we talked about last week. We are not to downplay death. Like when we say stupid and pithy things at funerals, I know we all do it, I've done it. We're not to downplay it like, oh, you know, they, the, God just needed them in heaven, that sort of thing. That's why God took them. It's God's will they died. Like that, that kind of silly stuff that we say at funerals to make us feel better. We don't downplay it. It's death is an enemy. We're allowed to be sad. We're allowed to even be mad at funerals. We're allowed to be angry this time of year when the people that we love the most have gone before us have died and they're not around during Christmas. We're, we're allowed to be sad about that. We're allowed to be mad at death. What we also talked about last week is death is, we're not to befriend it either. We're not to say, well, it's the circle of life. We learned that from the Lion King. It's the circle of life. It's the way the world renews itself. We die and we put it in the ground and our ground becomes fertilizer for trees to grow and then the trees like breathe in oxygen or however that works. I don't really know how that works. But anyway, so that's how, it's all a part of the circle of life. Death is a natural part of life. That is not what scripture says. Last week, I, I, I you can listen to last week to prove that point a lot further. But basically, death is not natural. Death is foreign to us. We know this intuitively. We know intuitively that you and I are built to last. Even the people that say they befriend death at their death, there's something that comes over them where they're afraid of it. So when death happens, we're allowed to be sad, we're allowed to be mad. But for the Christian, the Christian hope is that we are not sad nor are we mad without any hope. We do not grieve without hope. We are allowed to be sad, we are allowed to grieve, we're allowed to be angry, but we are not angry or sad without hope. For the Christian, we are not to fear death. Now why do we have hope in the face of death and why aren't we to fear death? It's only because death has been conquered by Jesus. Death has been conquered by Jesus and we call this Easter morning, the resurrection. Now the church in Corinth believed in the resurrection of Jesus. We've been talking about this for the last two weeks. They, the church in Corinth, the, 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 the audience that Paul is writing to in, in 1 Corinthians, a letter to Corinth, they believed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but they didn't believe in their own resurrection. They believed, like many of us believed, and I met a lot of you guys after church on Sunday that actually walked up to me and said, I believe like the, like the Corinthians did. I actually believe this. This is what they believed. And I think a lot of us in here probably believe something like this as well, that when we die, when we die, our bodies are just shed, we get rid of them, they don't matter anymore, they go on the ground, they die, worms eat them, whatever, and our soul floats up to heaven where we sit around and sing forever. 
And like streets are gold, I think. And like I get a, a cloud and a harp and a diaper or something like that. And I'm like in heaven forever singing. Now, I know heaven's going to be, I mean, even if that is the case, if that is heaven, it'll be, it'll, it'll be, it'll, it, we won't disappoint. But that sounds really boring. It sounds really boring. For the first century Corinthian, for the first century person who lived in Corinth, the body was bad. Something that they tried to escape. Death was the great escape from their bodies where they got to shed their bodies and their souls were liberated and their souls were in heaven. This is not true. Our bodies are good or they were good when God created them. This earth is not something to be escaped. This earth is good or it was good. When you deny the resurrection, when you deny that our bodies that are gonna be, we're gonna learn this in a second, planted in the ground are gonna be raised up. When you deny the fact that this body that you have here will one day rise in glory, it will rest in peace one day and rise in glory. If you deny that, you are denying the very thing that God made at the very beginning. When he made earth, he said, this is good. Humanity is good, this is all good, and sin destroyed it all. Our rebellion destroyed it all to where even now creation groans going, we cannot wait to be restored. Romans says that creation cries out for its restoration. Our bodies cry out for restoration. We cannot deny the resurrection. And so, when we look at this, when we, when we, when we deny that our bodies are gonna be resurrected, we deny the very nature of creation itself and restoration itself. That one day soon, our bodies will resurrect and this earth will be resurrected. And when the earth is resurrected and our bodies are resurrected, heaven will come down and there will be a marriage of heaven and earth and earth and heaven will unite and heaven will be here. Now I know that that last statement, heaven will be here, might be something that's completely foreign to you. So let me explain what this looks like and what Paul is talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 I'm going to reuse my glasses because last week I couldn't read. Um, so I just got to face the music and I have to wear glasses. Whatever. All right. Because um, my body is dying. But one day. <laughs> verse 35. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this. Let's read through this. It's a little different. I'm going to pause, explain some stuff as we read through this chapter or this, this, this um, section of scripture. But some will ask, Paul says in verse 35. Remember, he's talking about the resurrection. And they don't believe in the resurrection. So they're going, okay, so Paul's thinking, okay, if I finally got you to believe, okay, there, there might be resurrection. He says this, but some of you will ask me, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Is it gonna be like thriller in this place? Like, like all these bodies come up and it's like thriller, and everybody's, you know, whatever. And he calls them fools. He says, how foolish. Or the word in Greek is you fools. That's not how it's gonna be. You, what you sow or what you plant does not come to life unless it dies. So what Paul is saying is like, you guys know this. You guys observe this in nature. The transformation that happens in a seed is built into the way you know how planting, sowing, and reaping works. So don't act like you don't know what transformation means. He says, take an example of a seed, he says. When you sow, verse 37, you do not plant the body that will be, but just the seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. 
She's like, it's like, Paul's like, it's like a seed. And inside the seed is everything that, that is gonna be in its glory self. But what does the seed have to do? The seed has to be buried in the ground, the seed dies. But what happens? And we have a little graphic here to just show you a couple of examples, okay? <laughs> just in case you didn't know how this works. <laughs> seeds, like seeds, look at them. They're just like seeds. And then glory. You got a seed, and have you ever looked at an orchid? I got, do you, someone likes orchids. I love orchids. Um, I have a really a nice one in my office right now, and I just, I talk to it. Um, I just love it. And I, my wife, she, anyway, I won't get into that. Um, and so it's just crazy when you hold a seed in your hand, you're like, this seed has to die, and then when it dies, it, orchids are so ornate and beautiful. Like, I would have never have guessed in that seed was that orchid. It had to be buried and died. And then, uh, what is that, a tulip, maybe? Uh, who knows? I think that's a tulip. Seed, and then that's um, a tree of some sort. A redwood, a sequoia redwood, that's what it is. And when you hold the pine cone and you hold the seed of that, like, did you, did you ever imagine that that's what would happen? And so Paul says, you know all about transformation. You plant a seed in the ground and it dies and it springs up something glorious. Your bodies will do the same exact thing. Your bodies will be buried in the ground and God, just as God determines, now who determines what that would look like? God did. God's like, I want the seed to look like that, I want the, I want the plant to look like that. And your body's a seed, and it's gonna be planted in the ground. God's like, this is how I want it to be raised up. And all of us will be raised up glorified bodies. This is what Paul is saying. This is the argument that Paul is using. Then he switches the argument a little bit here. Paul says in verse 39, he changes the analogy. He says, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, meaning humans, you and me, have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another, and fish have another. They, we all look different. Like we, have, we know a human from a giraffe and a giraffe from a fish. We all have different types of bodies, right? He says, there are also heavenly bodies. Now, when the Bible uses the word heavenly, there's different levels of interpretation for heaven. Heaven has various meanings in scripture. It can refer to the sky or everything above the earth. That's what this definition here means. So he's not talking about heaven as in the heaven where God is. He's talking about the heavens as in the sky or everything above the earth. Okay? So he says this. There are also heavenly bodies and there are also earthly bodies. So there are giraffe bodies and human bodies and fish bodies and there are also sky bodies. Okay, what are sky bodies? Not aliens, that's not what he's talking about here. Though, I will talk to you about aliens if you want to, but not right now. He's talking about other things. He says, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, and the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. So what Paul is saying is that the way that God has created everything is that you and I have bodies that are made for this earth, and giraffes and zebras have and, and monkeys have this body, and fish and sharks have this body, but then there's also heavenly bodies, like in the sky, and there's stars, and the stars glow, and the moon shines, and these things have like glorious bodies. God created those to be different than these. What Paul is saying is one day, we will be like that. One day, the glory, he's, he's, he's about to connect us with glory, we will shine with glory. There is a glory self in us that when we are buried and rise again, we will be glorified. 
Okay, so then he says this. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown perishable. That is, our bodies are, are perishable. That means the, they can die. That means our bodies are decaying. From the second you're born, you're dying. You stink. You wear deodorant because you decay. Right? I don't mean to get too graphic. That's the truth, though. Our bodies are corrupted. They decay. They break down. They die. Recently, Pastor Tarek um, hurt his knee. If you saw his couple of posts online, he hurt his knee. And, he, and we're like, what happened? He's like, I just think it's um, A-G-E. I'm like, what's that? He's like, it's age. I spelled age. I'm like, oh, I understand what that means. He goes, he goes I, I, I mean, um, there are pictures of Tarek floating around where he's pretty buff. I'll just say that. And as Tarek ages, Things happen, and things aren't the same anymore. That's what happens with age. Our bodies are corrupted and are corrupting, are falling apart, are decaying. That's what, I don't mean to use Tarek. That wasn't anywhere in my notes. I'm sorry, Tarek. I love you. <laughs> but you will be raised imperishable, my brother. The body that's sown is perishable or raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. Our bodies are dishonorable because of sin but they will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Our bodies are weak, but it will be raised in power. It is sown natural and raised in spiritual. Now, this is a very confusing verse right here, okay? When Paul says in verse 44, it is sown natural, raised spiritual, this is, in English, this is such a horrible translation. It's actually, it's actually translated opposite of what Paul means. He's not saying we have a natural body and then we'll have a spiritual body. That's, not, that's what it says, but that's not what it says. The, the, the word natural is, is um, the word soul, psyche. You have a soul body and you have a spiritual body. Notice you have a body in both of those. One of them houses our soul. We became a living body when our soul was breathed into us by God. Our soul will die, our bodies will die, our souls will, will go to be with God and our bodies will die. That's what I meant to say. And then when God raises up our body, our soma, that's the word in, in Greek for body, used both times. When our bodies, our somas are raised, God will put the Holy Spirit into us and that body will be a spiritual Holy Spirit body. The Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead will one day raise us from the dead as well. So our body will raise up spiritual, perfect bodies. Right now our soul is, our bodies are psyche bodies or soul bodies, then there will be spiritual bodies or pneumatica bodies. That's what Paul is saying. It's really hard, it doesn't come across in English well at all. It almost confuses you, but that's what Paul is saying. If there's a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. So it is written, first, the first man, Adam, became a living being, a soul. Hopefully you're following along still. You guys still paying attention? I told you that you'd have to listen today, hard. So hopefully you're still listening. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul or living being. The last Adam, who's the last Adam? Jesus, Jesus thank you. The, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. So Paul is saying the first Adam, we are all identified with the first Adam and that we have, we, we've come from Adam. We've come from Adam and Eve. They're our first parents. And because that, we've inherited death. 
the last Adam, Jesus, who was the perfect and better Adam, who went through the temptation in the garden but passed the test. Our, that Adam is a life-giving spirit. He gives us the spirit of the living God. That's what Paul is saying there. The spiritual did not come first, verse 46, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. First, the first man was the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. Now, there's the word heaven again. Paul is saying the first man was made, Adam was made from the dust of the earth. The second man, Jesus, came from heaven. Now, what it means by heaven here is the theological meaning of heaven, the place where God is, the place where God dwells. That's where Jesus came from. He is God come down. This is what Paul is saying. Verse 49, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man in that we all have flesh, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. In that day, you and I will have heavenly bodies fit, outfitted for heaven, for eternity. Right now we have earthly ones. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood, and what he means by flesh and blood there is the natural body cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. What Paul is saying is that you are not yet outfitted for heaven. Your body, just like it couldn't live in space, can't live in heaven. It is flesh and blood. It's natural. It needs to be raised. Okay, so before we move on, a little review. Paul is saying our bodies that are buried we raise to new life. Once they're raised to new life, they will inherit all the characteristics of the new heavens and the new earth to survive there. It will be glorious. It will be imperishable. It'll be powerful. Our bodies now are weak and perishable and they're not that, I mean, they're glorious, but they're not that glorious. But one day they'll be super glorious. Now, someone who's finally catching along, who's finally getting this, might say something like this. Okay, all right. But everyone believed that Jesus was coming back. That's part of the gospel. Christ has died, Christ has been raised, Christ is coming again. So one of their questions would have been, okay, all right, Paul, if I follow your line of reasoning, what if Jesus comes back and I haven't died yet? Am I stuck in my old body? Like Jesus is there, I'm like, darn it, I didn't die yet. Look it, I didn't get buried. No, Paul says this next. He says, listen, I want to tell you a mystery, as if this whole thing isn't mysterious, but whatever. He's like, I want to tell you a bigger mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's a euphemism for what? Death. We shall not all die, but we, all, we will all be changed. So if you're thinking, well, if Jesus comes back and I'm not, I haven't died yet, how can Christ raise my body up? Paul's like, oh, here's a mystery. None of us will, not all of us will sleep. Christ will come back when, we're, when some of us are still alive. That's what every follower of Jesus has believed. Christ is coming back. If he comes back, here's the mystery. You might not all die, but we all will be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Verse 53, and this is Paul's like adamant statement. This is, he, this is him getting, commanding the, the, um, the, um, the imperative of, of this whole thing. This is true. For the perishable must, it must, in order to be outfitted for heaven, the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with, with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will, be, will come true. Death 
has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The, death of, uh, the sting of death is sin because of us we all sin. We die because we sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, and here's the indicative. Here's the thing that we're called to do because of what's true about us. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Okay, so hopefully that makes a little bit more sense than the first time you read it, just understanding that. So let's draw some, a couple of things out of this text about the hope of heaven. A couple of things that I wanna draw out of this text. The first one is a long point. The second one's a very short point. Two points. One, heaven requires an upgrade. Heaven requires an upgrade. The way that Paul is talking about heaven, heaven is this. Heaven is the place where God dwells. The word heaven has various meanings in scripture. It can refer to sky or everything above the earth, but the predominant theological meaning is this. Heaven is the place where God dwells. It's a real place in space and time, and it's a place where God's will is done. Okay, so right now, presently, I'm gonna get super sci-fi on you because it sounds sci-fi. Right now, heaven is somewhere else. I have no idea where it is. When you die, you go to what scholars and commentators call the intermediate heaven. Try that one on for size. You go to a heaven that's heaven now but won't be heaven forever. You won't have a body there, or you will have a body, but it's a loner or something. Everyone speculates on what. You die, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when you die, so the people that have gone before, the, all the funerals that I've ever done, all the people that I've ever loved that died in the Lord are with God. I know that. How, do they have a body? I don't know if they have a body. The scriptures don't really say. We don't know. They, they're, they're in this intermediate place. In that place... There are people, we're told in the book of Revelation, who are there before God and going, God, how long until you restore the earth? How long until we get to go back there and make our home there? How long? So there's something in heaven where there's almost an unresolvedness in heaven right now, that they're waiting for this earth to be completely renewed. So Paul's saying that when heaven is, no matter where it is, it's always a place where God's will is done. It's always a place where God is. Heaven is a place where God is and his perfect will is done. Now, many people have this idea of heaven that is quite boring. We think it's a place where there will be only singing and floating. We think it's a place where there's no surfing because there's no sea. People read in Revelation and there will be no more sea. They're like, there's no surfing. So that's gonna suck. So right there, I'll tell you right now, I don't wanna go to heaven. Um, they think that's the, people think, well, there's no sex because there's no marriage. And we say things like that, and I don't know how all that works out. I'm not even pretending to know how that works out. But this is the, the idea that we have of heaven. Like there's, there's singing only, and like there's no ocean, and there's no marriage. And it's no wonder why people who get a twisted view of heaven want to suck all of the marrow out of life now. Christians do this. You may do this. I have to surf all my favorite spots before I die because there is no surfing in heaven. 
I have to do all the things I want to do, all the sensual pleasures I want to do now because there will not be that in heaven. I have to do everything. I have to see everything I want to see on earth because in heaven I won't get to see it. And when we get a twisted view of heaven, we start living life for the now. It's because what's after all this we think that what's after this life is just floating around in a disembodied state of endless fields of lilies, like some Thomas Kincaid painting or something. I will tell you the truth. This is like the worst cover of heaven ever. Like I'd make it way cooler than this. Okay, so I try to get rid of this cover. When I don't like covers, I take off the cover, but there it is again. Like why would you do that? I'm sorry. Anyway, sorry. Um, And we have this idea of heaven that it's going to be completely boring. That's not what heaven is. You have not read the scriptures, nor do you understand the power of God, if you think that. Paul is Jewish. He is a Jewish theologian. He is a Jewish writer. So when he's arguing that we need new bodies or renewed bodies, he's arguing that we need renewed bodies for a renewed place. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54 again. It's on the screen. He says, for the perishable must put on, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. The saying that is written. Whenever you see something like that in the Bible, the saying that is written or when it quotes something, you should always want to know what is he quoting Because what Paul is quoting, when he quotes the Old Testament, that's what he's doing here, he has a whole worldview in mind. He has a whole section in mind. He's not just saying, oh, death will be swallowed up in victory. It's actually a quote. So everyone, look at your Bibles. Look at your Bibles real quick. Is there a letter next to victory? Death will be swallowed up in victory. In my Bible, it's the letter H. If you have a cross-references in your Bible, all Bibles should have this. It should have like an H there or some letter there or some number there. And you follow it down and it should say what? Isaiah 25. Turn there. Paul is quoting Isaiah 25. We should get a sense of why Paul is arguing for a renewed resurrected body. Because Paul is quoting Isaiah when Isaiah is talking about the new heavens and the new earth and what it will require to live there. Look at what he says. Look at what the new heavens and the new earth look like. According to Isaiah. He says this in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. And banquet of aged wine. The best meats and the finest of wines. What will the new heavens and new earth look like? Like a beautiful feast. If you're vegan, some, that meat will be renewed and you will not feel bad or it will be good or something. I don't know. <laughs> but you will not be sad. Like, is there a vegan option? No. <laughs> there is not. No, I don't know. There could be. I don't know. There could be. You won't be sad, though. I promise that. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. The confusion that you walk through life with will be gone. The what should I do and where should I go? I'm so confused. God, what's your will? All of that's gone. The sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up death forever. Where's Paul getting that? 
right there. He's quoting Isaiah. And what he has in mind is this whole scope. He goes on, he goes, the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. By quoting this verse, Paul is saying that our current bodies can't inherit this heaven that's coming. When Christ comes back and he renews everything, our bodies, our natural bodies can't inherit this until death has been swallowed up. And we are given new bodies. We're given renewed bodies, resurrected bodies. But he's also saying that at the same time, heaven is very much physical. Heaven isn't just a disembodied state of floating. Heaven is physical where there's eating and drinking and wine and good meat. Isaiah talks a little more about this in chapter 65. Turn over to chapter 65. Isaiah 65, verse 17. The heading over my Bible, I don't know if it's over yours, says the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 17, see, I will create new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will, will create Jerusalem to be a delight. That word in Hebrew is Eden. And it's people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child and the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. This is a poetic way, not of saying that there's death in heaven, a poetic way of saying time has no meaning in heaven. They will build houses and dwell in them. Can you just trip out on that for a second? You, you will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them. This is what this means, an absence of war. People aren't fighting over, over land anymore. You won't build a house and think one day that it will be taken by, uh, by an enemy. It won't be repossessed. It's yours. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so it will be the days of my people, my chosen ones, will enjoy, will long enjoy the work of their hands. You will work in heaven. They will not labor in vain, though. This is how Paul ends 1 Corinthians. Nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, and they, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are speaking, I will hear the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food, and they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. Notice how physical heaven is. Heaven, the new heavens and the new earth is about building and dwelling. It's living forever without fear. It's shalom of the animal kingdom and of humanity. There's no war. You can actually afford to live in San Francisco in the new heavens and the new earth. It'll be amazing. Amen. Okay, so if 
all of this language is starting to sound familiar, it's because John the Revelator is quoting Isaiah when he's, when he's writing the book of Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. If Old Testament scares you, Revelation shouldn't. Just kidding, it should. But anyway, look at Revelation chapter 21. Verse 1. This is how your Bible ends. It starts with creation and ends with new creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So that's where surfers get angry. Now, I like to surf. You have to understand context. Water represented chaos and darkness. The Bible started with water. Water was over the whole earth and it was full of chaos and darkness. And God said, let there be light and there was light and he separated the waters from the land. When God judged the earth, he judged it with waters, chaos and darkness. When Israel was backed up against the Red Sea, they were backed up against darkness and chaos and God parted the sea. When Jesus calmed the storm, when Jesus walked on water, people going, who are you? You are the son of God. You were walking all over chaos and darkness. You calmed chaos and darkness. Heaven is where darkness and chaos is completely removed. That is what John is saying. And there will be surfing, amen. Verse two, I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The holy city of God comes down from heaven and makes its place on earth. There's a marriage of heaven and earth in the new heavens and the new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The reason why heaven one day will be here on earth is because God will resurrect this earth just like he will resurrect our bodies and he will live here with us and wherever God is, there's heaven. So if you were very confused about this, let me say, where is heaven? Heaven will be here. Heaven will be here. Completely resurrected earth and a completely resurrected body. And it goes on. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Does that sound familiar? And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Heaven is a place where God is and where God's will is done. Heaven comes to earth and makes up the new heavens in the new earth here. There's a marriage. Eventually, heaven will be here on earth. Earth is a part of God's original plan. If you have a very difficult time thinking about this, you're like, well, heaven won't be on earth. That's, earth was a part of God's original plan. God made this earth and said, it is good. It is very good. For God to come to earth and to live with us fits perfectly in God's original plan. Think about it like this. When God walked with Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 in the cool of the day, he came on earth to walk with them. He didn't pull them up to some heaven. He came here. And he walked here on earth with him. There will be a marriage of heaven and earth where God will be among us. 
from the, the book Heaven, it says, uh, the writer writes, God has never given up on his original creation. Yet somehow we've managed to overlook the entire biblical vocabulary that makes this point clear. Reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, regenerate, resurrect. Each of these biblical words begins with a re-prefix suggesting a return to an original condition that was ruined or lost. After Jesus taught a lesson on how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, Peter responded to Jesus by saying this in Matthew chapter 19. Peter said, well, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? We, on this earth, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. I know it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, but we've given up everything for you. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So there will be, a, uh, there will be politics involved, redeemed, resurrected. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. When Jesus talks about the new heavens and the new earth, he talks about it as a renewal, at the renewal of all things. When I resurrect you and resurrect this earth, he talks about heaven as if it's physical and you have property that's actually yours. This is why we need to have upgraded bodies for this new heaven and new earth. And our current bodies, though broken through the fall, are a seed for that renewed body. And this is what Paul is saying. Your body is a seed. And from that seed will come this glorious new body built for the new heavens and the new earth. Joni Erickson Tata, who is a paraplegic, a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down, she says this about her body right now. And she thinks about the new heavens and the new earth. She says, somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body, is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand when you contrast atrophied, useless legs against splendorous, resurrected legs. I'm convinced that if there are mirrors in heaven, and why not, the image I'll see will be unmistakably Joni, although a much brighter Joni. What you have right now is the seed of what will be. Your bodies, my body, when we face death, will die, but they will be resurrected. I am convinced that you will be in heaven, and then when you're in heaven, you will, be, you will have a resurrected and upgraded you. And we will be in an earth that joins in heaven as a resurrected, better earth. I believe that, and I am convinced through scripture that the new heavens and the earth, new earth, there will be learning and singing and eating and dancing and relationships and pleasure and building and cities and economics and culture and art and work all renewed in heaven. And what makes heaven heaven is that God is with us. That's what makes heaven heaven. God comes here, renews us, renews this earth, and we live with him. Revelation 21 says, look, God's home is now among his people. 
He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. In the New York Times bestselling book, Proof of Heaven, written by a skeptic and neurosurgeon about his near-death experience and how he went to heaven and how he can prove it exists. That's the whole premise of this book. He describes what he saw in heaven. I might have shared this quote with you, but I think it's worth repeating. He said this about what he said he thought was heaven when he died. He said, it was like when your parents take you back to a place where you spent some time as a a very young child. You don't know the place, or at least you think you don't. But as you look around, something pulls at you. And you realize that part of yourself, a part way down deep, does remember this place after all, and is rejoicing at being back there again. C.S. Lewis once described heaven as the the remote music we're all born remembering. See, the thing is, if, you don't, if you're in here you don't really believe in heaven, I, be, I think you believe in heaven. I think the whole human race has a deep memory of paradise lost. All of us have a faint but powerful awareness that there must be a better, different world where, that we were designed for. We know that we were designed here, but it's not the way it should be. And that's why we hate death so much, why we hate cancer so much, why we hate AIDS so much. We look at it, and simply, truthfully, profoundly say, that's not right. It's not the way it was meant to be, and it's not. We were created to be in a perfect environment with God. For that to happen, the death of death must take place, and that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He is saying this. Let me read it to you one more time, and I I promise you it'll make more sense. He says, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. It must. And the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then that saying from Isaiah will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. There's a day coming when Christ will come back and raise the dead And all of us will, as it says in 1 Thessalonians, join him in the air and we will all say, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? We will taunt death because death has no power over us. Here's the last point, and this one's very short. For the Christian, death just makes you better. For the Christian, death just makes you better. Death is like a seed being planted in the ground. The reason why you and I don't fear death, the reason you and I have the hope of heaven is because when we die, when those who die in the Lord, they are, they're like a, a gardener planting a seed in the ground and when they do, something way more complex and beautiful grows out of it. So we don't fear it. We don't take it lightly either. We are ultimate realists when it comes to heaven. We say it's not the way it's supposed to be, and one day it will be conquered fully. And so this is how Paul ends this section. He says this, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And so guys, as we finish this book and we conclude our time, let me me exhort you, let me encourage you. This is the, this is the, Um, the indicative statement here or the imperative, sorry. This is the imperative statement. This is something that you must do. It's imperative that you do this. 
Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Is there anything you're doing that you would not naturally be doing if you did not have faith in Christ? Is there anything you're doing right now that you would not naturally be doing if you, had, if you did not have faith in Christ? Paul says, keep doing that. It's not in vain. If you are living your life right now to grab at every single opportunity because you think this is all you have, if every season that goes by, like I have to get as many of this in this season as I can. I have to do this many things. I only have one life. I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to see this and I want to travel there. I want to travel there because you think that's all, this is all there is. You have a wrong theology of heaven. A friend of mine, we were talking about heaven recently and she said, there's a lot of things that I just don't have time to do that I want to do. Like enjoy the opera. She goes, it takes, a, it takes a lot of energy to enjoy the opera. But in the new heavens and the new earth, I will have all the time to enjoy the opera. Right now, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. There's a lot of, for the Christian, there's a lot of things that you won't be able to do here. That you'll have to say no to. Because you're giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord. There's a lot of missed opportunities. There's a lot of things that, guys, to raise children in this city is a work of God in San Francisco. It's not in vain. There's certain things that you're saying no to. Those of you that are longing for a relationship, there will come a day in heaven where all of our longings will be fulfilled in ways that you can't even describe today. Give yourself fully to the work of God, completely to the work of God. And know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That everything that you do here for the work of God is not in vain because Christ is victorious. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for this church that I know that, that a lot of us are, are opportunists, Lord. We are looking for the opportunity to make our name known, to make our thing go big, to, to suck all of the marrow out of life. And I thank you for the balance of the teaching of heaven that can tell us we can enjoy this life, but there's so much more to come. And so, God, may we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. We get one life. And it, may, God, may this life be devoted to your work. May it be devoted to saying no to ungodliness. And yes to generosity and truth and love and peace. Heaven is then, but it's also now. Because in Christ, Heaven is breaking in right now. And we get to pray things like, may it be in San Francisco as it is in heaven. May your will be done here. May we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord during this Christmas season. May we serve and sacrifice and give. May we give of our time and our money and ourselves, of our discipline and of our work. May we be people who give because this not, we're not living just for this life. 
Change us, God. Change the way that we think about this. Exhort us. In Jesus' name, amen.